Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, how to be ready for a hiring market upturn. Part two, here we go. Now, when things happen, they happen pretty fast. I mean, hiring managers get signed <laughs> off for requisition. And like, if you've been in the position, you know how it works. You get a requisition, you get authority to hire somebody. It's stupid. Okay. We're not saying whether it's right. It's stupid not. to wait, right? It, you, well, yeah. it's smart to wait if the person you have in front of you is not the right person. But mm-hmm. it's stupid to wait to do you know interviewing. So as soon as you get the requisition, you're out looking for people, right? Because you know, and again, this is the stupid part, companies do it. If you don't fill the requisition with a specific period of time, often the requisition is canceled. And so there right. is a lot of uh, a focus on hiring yeah. f- quickly. Now, we we don't recommend that, but... Yeah, to bear, be fair, folks, companies do that for the right reason. You understand that when in order for you to get a requisition to hire... You understand that there are financial obligations involved there, and the company needs to consider that. And if you're in a small or mid-sized company, they're accruing cash to pay for a future liability, which is a salary. They don't want to have too many open requisitions and not have accrued enough cash, which might impact profitability, right? And so what do they do? They're careful about their requisitions. And if you don't act quickly, then they're going to assume if I leave this one open for a long time and add three or four more on top of it, suddenly I have a lot of liabilities I have to accrue for. And so it makes sense that companies do it, but it puts hiring managers in a tough spot. By the same token, folks, the answer, of course, is to have your bench ready. And when you get the requisition, be able to hire very, very quickly and have the process in place and so on. But then again, Mike, you mentioned about the, the you know, the person on Friday gets a request and they call us and say, can you truly look at my resume real fast? Because I got an interview on Tuesday. And they're saying, well, geez, they haven't done anything for years. Why are they suddenly doing something so fast now? Now they're impatient. Now they're impatient. Well, for good reason, because they know their requisition might get taken away. Exactly. And so don't complain about the speed at which things happen. In fact, I believe one of the things we have on our interview series is don't try to control the speed of the process that a company is going to take you through. Your ability to influence that speed is zero. And I promise you, any attempts to influence the speed will be seen not through the light of speed, but through the light of your interest. If you try to slow things down, that's perceived as low or non-interest. You're just trying to slow it down to give yourself a chance to do well because you really are interested. That's not the way it's going to see it. We're not going to, we're not going to judge you based on your intent. We're going to judge you based on our opinion of your behavior. And slowing things down is what people who aren't interested do. Yeah, Mr. Horseman, I'd like to interview with you, but you could, could you give me a week to get ready? I just, you know, I'll be in much better shape if we could delay this a yeah, week. Yeah, I need to double check my resume because there might be some errors in it. Yeah, uh right. Um, and I really, you know, there's some things I need to do. I'd love to come, but, you know, got stuff to do and da 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 Look, the hiring freeze has just been lifted. They've been waiting 18 months. They were desperate for the position. Market went south. The position, the requisition got closed. They didn't get their guy in under the wire 18 months ago. And now they're rabid for somebody. And you're not ready. And you're wondering why they're going so fast. Duh. Okay. One of Wendy's friends was called on the Monday of the week that this cast was written and interviewed on the same week Tuesday, 24 hours later. Look, you can't guarantee folks that you're going to have a lot of time to prepare. And again, you can't ask the company to wait a week. 
Maybe the market's more liquid, but making things difficult for recruiters or hiring managers restricts your future opportunities. It's like telling your boss, hey, I, I can't do any more work right now. The pattern is full. And <laughs> oh, if somebody does that, if you tell your boss routinely, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. You can't give me anything more to do. Just whatever you're doing, stop that in your present job. And if you move to a new job, don't ever do that again. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> it is. So look, start practicing now so that if you get a call on Monday and you have to interview on Tuesday, you don't have to leave work and cram for six or eight hours. One of the things we talk about in the interviewing series is, is tape recording yourself, having your answers to your most significant accomplishment questions ready and practicing them in the morning and listening to them in the evening. Uh, same thing with your leadership style. Same thing with, you know, tell me about yourself, the big questions. Go through all of your accomplishments from the last year and prepare to describe them and then actually describe them as if you were in an interview. You got to emphasize those traits and skills and abilities that you know are going to be required and the roles you're going to be interested in. I bet you the ones that the accomplishments you've had in the last year, you've never verbalized those. I bet you none of the accomplishments that you've had in your, uh, none of the accomplishments that you've had in any of the jobs you've had since you last interviewed, have you prepared for? And you need to put those down in your in your general store analogy and your on your three or five cards or in your database on your computer so that you can actually verbalize them. And don't worry about being over rehearsed. There's no one who's ever going to sound over rehearsed. I tell you a good example. In recent times, one of the things that's happened in terms of corporate vocabulary is we've stopped talking about I. It's all about the team and what the team achieved together. And we collaborated and we did this and so on. And that's fine. Everything at work is done with the help of other people. It's individuals that do it, but two or three people have to collaborate to get uh, something done. But in an interview, you need to talk about what you did and you need to know what your contribution was. And, you know, if you're a manager, that would sound like I led the team to achieve X by directing them in A, B, C tactics, whatever they might be. Not my team achieved X. And now, by the way, there are people in HR who will tell you, oh, I like it when you say my team did this. But I promise you, a good recruiter is going to then immediately say, what did you do? Because for all they know, it was your team that did it and you just sat around and watched, in which case they don't want to hire you. Behavioral interviews require you to talk about your activities. It can be activities directing other people. It can be activities getting people to collaborate and communicate and so on. But you've got to talk about what you did. You can't use vague my team and we the entire time in a modern interview and expect to be hired because there are less people now. And while that requires more collaboration, it also requires stronger individuals because you have less people doing the same amount of work. I'm sorry, more work. <laughs> more work, yeah. Something else too. Can we just say something here? This whole theme or concept or meme as it's called out there on the internet about storytelling. Oh, I love really stories. Oh, yeah, great. Oh, Particularly the interviews. Know, yeah, they make them go it's, so it's, much it's, faster. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm reading the book, The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs, because everybody mistakenly thinks he's a good presenter. Or no, that's not right. Everybody mistakenly thinks it would be good to patter themselves after him, which is just mind-bogglingly a bad idea. And then I think presentations in and some other stuff, which have interesting ideas, I think, that can be helpful for certain people, are being applied way too broadly. And another thing that came up is storytelling is about drama. And so we need to create some drama. Like hell, it's not about drama. And literally, this is so powerful a meme, it seems, because people like the stories they see on TV and movies and read in books. And therefore, we should do that in interviews. We should tell stories. Tell a story. You read these articles. Tell a story. Take the listener with you on a journey. 
Folks, this is unmitigated crap. You will look like a fool and you better be a gifted thespian, which I'm willing to bet almost none of you are. And you're not a gifted thespian about the work you do at work, unless you're a professional storyteller, to which I bow because listening to you is fabulous. But that doesn't make you good in an interview. You're going to be interviewed. It's probably going to be behavioral. You're going to be asked for specific accomplishments, the background behind them, and the steps you took. That is not a story. If you tell a story, you're going to drive recruiters crazy, and they're going to think you're a softy, and that you never, ever had to make a decision in order to move things forward. Don't tell recruiters stories, period. Okay. Is that, I mean, should I do that again, different, or? I, I got it, I think. What do you think? Folks, Question? you. you, think, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah? You think, think we're good there? I yeah. think so. <laughs> and, and look, folks, you know what? We talked at the top of the show about being timeless as opposed to timely. I promise you, you can count on Mike and Wendy and I and Maggie. You can count on us that if, in fact, storytelling becomes the norm in professional interviews, we'll tell you to do it and we'll teach you how. But it's not, so don't. Okay, now, a lot of folks, I've seen this. What they do is they go into the privacy of their their office or they, they go out on a park bench and they prepare for any of you, and they tell me they're prepared for all the questions and all their answers, and they haven't said a thing out loud. They practice it all in their yeah. head, and then they're yeah. awful. We talk about this in the interview series, dude. We talk about the fact that you've got to record your answers into a dictaphone every morning and then listen to them at night. You have to actually say them out loud. Partly it is the saying of them. Um, because it's never, whatever you're thinking is different than what you're saying by definition, because you don't think in words, you think in pictures, but it's the saying of them that gets them outside of your body, which is when they're be evaluated anyway, in the mind of the recruiter, they have to be outside your body for the recruiter to evaluate them. But waiting all day to listen to your own answer is stunning the difference you feel when you listen to it. I mean, people who were practicing their head, it all sounds good. And you kind of gloss over things that you can't actually gloss over when you're saying out loud. But secondly, not only does it sound good, you're not actually using the words. And it's amazing how forgiving we can be of what's in our heads versus what we actually say out loud. Just try it. Folks, if you don't believe us, just try it once. Practice your interview answer in your head a couple of times. I'd be willing to bet less than 1% of the people listening right now can actually practice entire interview answer in their head in the speed and pace they would deliver it out loud. But maybe you can. But practice in your head and then say it out loud right afterwards and see how close it is to exactly what you said in your head. And I'd be willing to bet not even close. And look, that's part of why a lot of us, including me, hate seeing ourselves on video and hate hearing our voices recorded. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I've never listened to an entire one of our casts. I write them. I record them. Why would I want to listen to myself? I don't think I sound very good. What everyone else sees, though, folks, is different than what we imagine they see. And when you're imagining, you'll imagine away the rough spots. So work with a buddy. Look, if it were me and I had a buddy at work, I'd walk in and I'd say, dude, I recorded these on the, on the train on the way in. It's kind of loud in the background, but there it is. I recorded these using voice command or some other dictaphone or something. Here it is right here. Here are the files. Listen to them. Tell me what you think. Or listen to yourself at the end of the day. And then after you've done it for a couple of days and you feel like most of the rough edges are gone, then share those files with a buddy and tell, ask her or him what he or she thinks. 
Same thing with video. We recommend once a week in the interviewing series, once a week videotape yourself. Now, you don't actually need, I guess, we used to recommend two people together. I like that. I think it's very helpful. I think it sets a much higher standard when someone else is in the room. But you could just use your iPhone or, or your BlackBerry, anything that's got a video camera on it. Yeah, I'm sure better than nothing. phones do as well. Yeah, it's better than nothing. Just put it, you know, stand it up in a little stand and and be in a place where you know you're on the video and then record yourself. Make sure you record yourself from the waist up so you can see your own facial expressions and your body language and so on. And even if the sound is not perfect, you'll still be able to get the diction and the tone and the speed and so on. And look, folks, when you review your video, look for the annoying habits you have. Touching your hair, wringing your hands. I've noticed, I, I, don't, I don't need video anymore because I've been doing it so often, but I've noticed that I reflexively check my suit coat pockets for my remote control when I'm presenting. It's a bad <laughs> habit I've gotten into. I've got to learn how to change that, right? Some people tap their pen. They tap their fingers. They say the same word over and over, or they just use the same word over and over again. It's a, it's a comfort word. It's a word they touch and they feel good about, but it doesn't work. Like, for instance, the word ever. Oh, this is a really important, one of the most important projects I've ever worked on. And uh, I just have a great team, one of the best ever. And after about 10 evers, it's like, please never. <laughs> never, never, ever. Um, yeah. Here's the key, folks. You've got to get it out of your head and onto, you've got to get it external to you. And the only way there's any value in it being external is if it's recorded so you can play it back after the fact. So say it out loud, put it on a digital media, put it audio first and then video. Uh, and if you do that off and on a couple of days a week for the next three months, when it comes time for an interview, you could say, I'm ready now. And then you walk in and you blow them away because they're like, wow, this guy walked in and it was no brainer. He, he didn't need any time. And all these other guys are scrambling around. They got errors in their resume. They're not sharp. And this guy walks in and just nails it and then tells us this is a job he's been looking for for three years. And everybody looks around the room and goes, let's hire him. And they're thinking, hey, the opposition, open requisition might be closed anyway, right? And they, boom, they hire you. Yeah. I mean, seriously, folks, I'm telling you now, this prep step right here, step five, this could give you a significant competitive advantage. And it takes 15 to 20 minutes a day. Yeah, it's huge. You may be nervous going to it anyways, but having done this time and time again, practicing, you'll walk in yeah. and we say in the interviewing series, folks resist and push back on this thing. Well, I don't want to appear, you know, like a, like a mechanical robot and right. have all my, my answers yeah. appear like they're, I'm reading them. You're not going to sound that way. It oh. doesn't work that way. You're going to feel... It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, you're yeah. going you're gonna to sound sharp. You're going to sound well-rehearsed, but totally natural. Yeah, you can't. I mean, the fact is you've been preparing while you're not in the stress of the interview, okay? The preparation disappears, and because you haven't done it 500 times, none of you will, you won't have it memorized, and as long as it's not memorized, but you've said it often enough, those memories will come back to the surface. Just like when you're listening to a song on the radio, you couldn't have written down those words, those lyrics all by yourself an hour before. But once the song starts, you can remember it. And maybe you've only heard that song 20, 30, 40, 50 times, but you can remember the words because your brain is linear and it stores patterns. And once it feels that pattern happening again, it brings the thing to your fore, to the fore. And, and again, because your stress levels are different in an interview, you won't say it exactly the same way, but you will come across so much more prepared than the person who has only done it in their head, hasn't gotten on audio, hasn't gotten on video. Yep. Now, folks, 
The problem with our network of friends that we have right now is that when we need them, we often <laughs> have, haven't kept them warm enough or close enough, right? Yeah. They become stale and they end up yeah. being of less value than we'd like at a time when we really need them to be, right? I mentioned to somebody yesterday on the phone, Mike, that we were going to record this cast and I mentioned about friends and the whole issue of Facebook and are those people on Facebook friends? And my answer was no. And his answer was, there are people who think that. <laughs> um, and uh, it was very interesting. He said something that I was thinking in the way the conversation went. And he said, you know, it occurs to me, I bet you there are a lot of friendships that die during market upturns because one of the two hasn't kept it up. The one who asks for a favor and hasn't kept up the relationship is disappointed that the the other friend, quote unquote, isn't willing to help for whatever reason. They demur in some way or politely dodge the question. And suddenly the friendship goes away because it survived for a year in each other's minds as, yeah, we're friends, but without any contact. But then when you need the friend to do what friends do and the friend doesn't do it, suddenly they become not a friend anymore. And he was absolutely right. But you know what? It's it's the death of a thousand cuts, right? It's that last cut that that matters and everybody blames it on the last cut. It's like, yeah, but where were you for the last two years keeping this friendship warm, keeping this person close? And the, the media exists. Everybody wants to talk about all this great digital media. Great, I agree. Use it to your advantage. And folks, people who are your quote friends, unquote, on Facebook, who you don't see or talk to once a year, except on their updates on Facebook, they are not your friends and you can't count on them to make recommendations or referrals or get you a job interview. It's not going to happen. Okay. Relationships decay. It is the nature of all relationships that they decay. In fact, all things decay, right? If we don't tend to our relationships, they're always less valuable than we want them and need them to be in our time of need. There are too many stories we've heard of folks who realize that when they really needed their friends to step up, and I say friends in quotes, they were trying to rekindle a fire that really had gone out. There was nothing to kindle, and it was due to their own lack of attention. The email I remember getting from a, from a member, from a listener a few years ago, told how he felt as he got several emails he had sent to old friends returned because the email addresses he had for them had expired. Oh, God. And you know what that meant? That meant they weren't friends anymore, and they literally did not know how to get in touch with each other. In fact, he did find one of them through his alumni association, but that was just randomness because they had gone to the same school. Not a good feeling. So, folks, look. Start now. Now refreshing them. Send some emails tonight. Okay. Make phone calls on your way home. If it helps, make a list of your top 100 quote friends, unquote, and go through those folks first. If you need a structure, right? Update your contact information. I would even say it'd be better now if you're thinking, hey, the market's warming up. Maybe in a few months I'll get together. Maybe an opportunity will present itself. It would be better now to do a quick email not an email blast to 200 people all at once, but a one-at-a-time email specific to each of these people. It takes you three or four, no, I'm sorry. It takes you two minutes to write an email to these people. In an hour at the end of your workday, when suddenly some meeting's canceled, you could send, what, in an hour, you could send 30 of these messages out to people. Um, they will look a little bit similar, but please don't cut and paste. Um, they'll look a little bit similar, but they'll be to individuals rather than to a group, and you'll address them by name. 
And even if you got half of them back, it would be better to know now that 15 people you thought were your friends are no longer your friends because you don't have any way to contact them than to find out six months from now when you want a referral and you can't get one and you were counting on it. Do this soon. If you do it before the economy really starts picking up, before everybody starts talking about jobs they're considering elsewhere, you'll know who your friends are. You'll have the connections with them. In other words, the first time you're reaching out to them won't be for a favor. It's easier to ask for favors when there is something to rekindle or when you've already rekindled and now you're just keeping it warm. I know I'll never convince enough people of that, but that is, it doesn't take much to keep the fire from going completely out. And if the fire's not completely out, it's easy to ask a favor. If it's out, it's impossible. And heck, half the time when it's out, you can't even find them. Absolutely. So look, reviewing, expect calls from people, folks, be ready, review our cast guidance on, uh, our guidance on how to handle headhunter calls, freshen your resume up, right? Uh, particularly on the stuff that you've done since the last time you interviewed, be ready to practice those. Update your social media because it's worse than you think. It's great. It's a wonderful tool and it's worse than you think when it comes to your career search. Practice your interviewing answers now. Work with a buddy, okay? It is a great idea, audio and video both, exchange dictaphones, email audio clips to one another and refresh your contact list as well, just so that you'll know who's really gonna be available to be called on when you actually start doing something in earnest. And heaven forbid, you know, this is funny to say, but heaven forbid a recruiter call you tomorrow because you're probably not ready. The reason most people think job search is hard is because they have a half-hearted thought on Monday that they'd like something better or different. They might look at the job board at lunchtime, they might look at their resume and think it could be better, They send off an application and they wonder why they don't get the job of their dreams. Look, folks, even in an upturn, if you want the job of your dreams, you're going to have to work at it. Heaven knows how to put a price on its good. Everybody wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. The best jobs, the one you want, will require some additional work. And these are the steps you need to take. Opportunity favors the prepared. Get ready now. And then the advantages that will come along because of the upturn will be possible, even made notably easier because you've worked a little bit harder now. Be the ant and not the grasshopper. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, partner. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again next week. In the meantime, if you haven't joined the discussion forums lately, please do so. www.managertools.com forward slash forums. Hope to see you there. So long.